0: You are listening to Light Hearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation. Hi, Bob.
1: Hi, Jeremy. Hey, it's great to be back with you again here.
0: Well, thanks for for doing it. And uh, I hope you notice I'm wearing my American Lighthouse Foundation hat today. Uh, So today is November 6th, 2022. And this is episode 198 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we're going to listen to part two of a two part interview with four people who have been very important advocates for the lighthouses of the Kennebec River in Maine. Uh, Bob, I was just looking at an article you wrote about Doubling Point Lighthouse on your website, mainlightstoday.com. Again, for people who are interested, it's a really good site to check out, mainlightstoday.com. Uh, Seguin Light and Pond Island Lighthouse were established off the mouth of the Kennebec uh, River very early in, their, uh, in our history. Uh, and the city of Bath uh, on the Kennebec was a very important shipbuilding center for a very long time, still is. The river had important logging and ice cutting industries as well. So I'm wondering why? Why do you think they waited so long to build these uh, lighthouses in the late 1800s? 1898 is when they built a bunch of them on the Kennebec. Why did it take so
1: long? Do you think? That's a great question, Jeremy. It's something that I've tried to think about myself over the years. And there's very little documentation that takes you into the mind of the lighthouse board at the time of why they would have waited. Of course, there were some private aids, as you know, on on the uh, certain bends and turns there on the river, but You go from 1821, when Pond Island marks the entrance, it's another 77 years that pass. And really one of the only pieces of evidence that I may have uh, uncovered is a book by uh, William Avery Baker, A Maritime History of Bath, Maine, and the Kennebec River region from 1973. And I just want to pull a quote here. Uh, Mr. Baker says, quote, it has been said that no vessel was ever lost in sailing out of the Kennebec. Sailing in was another matter. End of quote. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm only taking it that over the years, because the Kennebec was not subject to, you know, furious coastal storms. You're in the river. It's a little more protected. Uh, I think the tide and the current would have probably dictated vessels sail, on, of course, on high tide, whether up or down the river and during the day. So I, I can only imagine that that was part of the reason why the Lighthouse Board at the time did not move faster on mm-hmm. establishing these aids. Uh, We can look back at history and you see like something like 3000 plus vessels a year on the Kennebec steamers plying daily. And uh, at the same time, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a great question. It's a mystery that might be lost in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But in any case, the lighthouses they did establish in 1898 are uh, pretty little light stations. Uh, it's a nice uh, nice grouping of, uh, of little wooden lighthouses there, very uh, kind of serene settings.
1: You don't find anything else like it on the main coast, and you know you're on the Kennebec when you see those lights.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I also know you have a lot of personal experience with today's guests. Uh, Jim and Joyce Spencer have lived uh, much of the year at the Keeper's House at Doubling Point Light Station for many years. Uh, going back to when Jim was was quite young. Uh, and he was the spearhead behind the formation of the Friends of Doubling Point Light. I know, Bob, you've worked with them on Main Open Lighthouse Day and uh, other things over the years. Jim and Joyce are kind of stepping to the background at this point as the McLeans step forward. I'm wondering if you have, if you have any thoughts about the Spencers.
1: I sure do, Jeremy. Jim and Joyce Spencer have just been I think I said this in the last podcast, they really are truly quiet leaders in the main lighthouse preservation movement. To me, they've led by example, they seek no acclaim. They just do their job, they go about it, they do it well. Um, You just look at the grounds, how meticulous. I marvel at the station because not only is it preserved, but it retains this old charm about it. It has not been lost. It's almost as if uh, the place is sort of not far removed from its glory days. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. I think the other thing, too, is that when you think about the the main Open Lighthouse Day, as you mentioned, that is no easy event to pull off there down in Doubling Point Light there. As you know, the road down in there is very narrow. There's very little parking. Um, The fact that the Spencers uh, were very open all these years to having that event and uh, coordinating, making sure I don't even know how they pulled that off with all the parking down there. But people who I've heard visiting that site just absolutely love the fact that that lighthouse was part of the event. And also just the fact that people got to meet the Spencer and the McLeans over the years. Uh, I, I've heard nothing but great stories. So now the Spencer's are, are really, though they're stepping aside, their contributions are not stepping aside. They're going to continue to shine on their Dublin Point Light.
0: I completely agree with everything you're saying, and uh, it's not an easy place to handle a a lot of uh, visitors coming in there at once. The road isn't made for it. Uh, The parking isn't made for it, but they've done a great job uh, handling it over the years. So the other guests in today's interview are Karen and Dan McLean. Karen was the Coast Guard keeper based at the Kennebec River Range Light Station on the Kennebec River, uh, obviously, uh, for a few years in the 1980s. Uh, And in that position, she was also, in addition to being in charge of the range lights there, she was also in charge of doubling point light and squirrel point light, as well as their fog signals. You know, uh, and please, uh, I'd like your opinion on this, Bob, but there are a lot of women keepers under the old civilian lighthouse service, but uh, there were very few female keepers under the Coast Guard from the time the Coast Guard took over managing lighthouses in 1939. Uh, one, uh, woman who was a keeper in that period was Fanny Salter. She was at Turkey point, Maryland for a long time, but I believe she remained a civilian. I think she, uh, she, even though she was there into the coast guard era, she, I think she remained a civilian until she retired. Do you know of any other coast guard, uh, female coast guard light keepers, Bob? Uh, I, I think what Karen did, uh, is really pretty unique.
1: I am aware, and I don't unfortunately do not know the name of the woman, but I'm aware that the Coast Guard did refer that there was at least another woman or two that were uh, lighthouse keepers. But my understanding was that Karen, as, a, as as officer in charge of the station, was very unique and possibly the only one. I think for me, when I look back at that time, it was uh, it kind of got lost in the shuffle of automation, mm-hmm. uh, that time is really one of the most overlooked and underappreciated times of Coast Guard lightkeeping history. You know, in that final years, I think more people were just sort of lamenting the idea that the lighthouses were going to be automated and and in a way not fully appreciating somebody like Karen who was doing this job at the end and, and but was part of that continuum of lighthouse keepers. I think we could have done a better job, you know, looking back at that period of time and saying what she did was incredibly special. Uh, you know, I, when I read articles from uh, those that period of the 80s, uh, I'm struck by the fact that, you know, they were so Karen and her husband Dan were so even keel and humble uh, in this assignment, even though they were history in the making. There, it's pretty amazing. I like one quote, it uh, was an article written by Liam M. Robeshaw in the Bill of Soup of March uh, 29th, in 2007. It was entitled Keepers Share Their Story of the Lighthouse Duty." They had done a presentation at the main lighthouse museum in the McLean's. And one of the things that struck me was the, the family part uh, that was so important. It was evident the family was important to the McLean's. And, and Karen is quoted as saying, both of the children just loved being little lighthouse kids. It was a family thing, referring to her son, Dylan, and her daughter, Allie. Mm-hmm. I think another thing, too, was uh, when Karen mentioned something to the fact that though she was doing something very important, she herself didn't put herself on that pedestal uh, in a May 1985 Down East magazine article. I love this quote by her. It's, quote, I'd love to meet and talk with some of the old timers, but things have changed so much that I'm afraid what I do wouldn't impress them very much, end of quote. I think they would have been impressed, quite frankly, because, I mean, just the idea that um, Lighthouses had continued on and here she was this history-making woman in that position, I think that would have been an impressive thing for them. But again, it was a very humble attitude towards what they did. And I think that was true of a lot of uh, lighthouse keepers. And, and I think they continued that, that legacy.
0: Yeah, well, that's definitely true. And I'll just mention, you mentioned uh, Leanne Robichaud, who wrote that article you quoted. Uh, her, her husband, Joseph Robichaud was uh, the officer in charge of the Kennebec River Range Light Station just before the McLeans, I believe.
1: That's so, right.
0: Leanne has a, a personal tie to that, that place as well. Um, so uh, before we go to the second part of the two-part interview with the Spencers and the McLeans, Bob, you have any other, other thoughts uh, about the lighthouses in the Kennebec River?
1: I do, Jeremy. I think the Kennebec River Lights presents something that no other lighthouses in Maine can really offer uh, people today. And that is during the winter, the ice season on the Kennebec is just amazing. You can read history accounts of how difficult it was for keepers to cross that river when the ice was running, or how rescues were needed to occur because people were trapped either on ice or in the ice flows and threatened to be taken down river. Um, but even today, um, you go through the winter and then suddenly you get a fall in January, February. Those ice flows coming down from above bath can be quite uh, damaging and destructive if you really get a if that fall really in the rain sweeps that down. And then in March and April, when the ice starts to break up, and this naturally starts to move out on the tides, it oftentimes, big chunks of this, these cakes get caught up on the uh, riverbanks. They're just flat out amazing to see. I know from personal visiting, you know, visiting there personally, it was uh, the sight is one thing, but the sound is another. You hear Mm -hmm. this cracking, you hear the collisions of the ice, you hear the ice flows going up against the buoy that's off of Dublin Point Light, so that metal and ice it's quite eerie, you know, it's because it's very quiet and all you hear is these sounds from the ice. So if nobody's ever seen that place in the wintertime when it's the ice is running, it's quite an amazing sight and sound.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I have not really experienced that. I've been there in the early spring, like in March when there was still ice and snow on the ground, but not so much in the river. I think um so you're making me feel the need to to get there this <laughs> this coming winter uh in the middle of ice season i think that sounds really interesting but it's they're uh, such beautiful places uh any time of year really 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 special all right so let's listen to part two of my conversation with karen and dan McLean and joyce and jim spencer now <laughs> So before we move on to other subjects, I'm just, I want to give you an opportunity. If there are any other really memorable experiences there, I'm sure there must have been, but uh, like storms that stand out. I imagine you occasionally got unusual visitors. Maybe there's something like
2: that, but any, anything that really stands out in your memory there? Fish kills. Back, back in the heyday of the bluefish in the river and the pogies, there were a lot of pogies back then as well. The Mm -hmm. bluefish, when they started a feeding frenzy. The pogies in their fear would school up in a tight bunch, mm-hmm. and that would deplete the oxygen in the water, and they would kill themselves and the bluefish and anything else in, in that water area. So there were three instances that we had these species of fish up on our marsh, all Small
3: shoreline, uh,
2: until they, you know, they just melted into the marsh. Wow! Almost literally. Uh, The flies that they bred were amazing. There was a hum over the moss the whole time. Smell must have been amazing. Smell smell wasn't good at all, no. Fortunately, having been in Gloucester for a few years, years, prepared us for that aroma. Yeah. uh, It was was such a great fishing village back then. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. pervasive fish smell on the waterfront. Hurricane Gloria in
3: 1985 was significant for this area. Mm -hmm. We lost electricity for one week during hurricane glory we lost
2: everything in the freezer we had mm-hmm. a big stand upright freezer. freezer
3: mm-hmm. Maine had a significant flood um, that was in 1987 so there was a lot of debris and very high water in the river yeah that was um, something we, there
2: was almost a week where you had no incoming current mm-hmm. at doubling point the water for over a week just came down yeah. river down river there was still a rise and fall a vertical rise and fall yeah. But there was no upriver current. There was so much volume coming out of Maine after those storms. And it was a spring spring runoff on top of two big storms. Yeah.
3: Right. And again, I I can't help but remember the girls from high school that was quite a, an experience for sure. me. Yeah. And um our change of command was pretty special as well.
0: <laughs> when Dan took over for you, for you Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it was it was in the winter of 87. I had gone to Booth Bay, and as I mentioned before, and when it was time for Karen to be transferred, the automation was still predicted to happen any time. Uh, so it was an easy decision when we approached the captain in Portland if we could make this transfer happen that I would be transferred from Booth Bay to the light station, and she'd be transferred from the light station to his command in Portland and work as a group duty officer, which is usually a 24 to 36-hour shift. Mm -hmm. And then she's off 48 to 72 hours. 48. They readily agreed to that. It was a no-cost transfer for the Coast Guard, so two members were transferred with $0 spent on the transfer and didn't disrupt the lighthouse automation.
0: Another thing I wanted to, to ask you, and a question about wildlife, I was there. I, I visited both the Doubling Point station here and the Range light station. I know it was June 2001. I was with uh, Jean Guichard, who's a very famous French oh, photographer. Yes. Mm-hmm. took the famous wave, picture of the, the wave, 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 wave coming around the La Laermont lighthouse. School. Uh-huh, yeah. So I spent a few days with him helping him to get to some main lighthouses, including these for a book he was working on. And when we were at the range lights, we were pretty sure we saw an otter swimming in the in the water there. Hmm. I'm wondering, were we imagining things, or is that something you remember seeing when you were
3: there or or no? Perhaps you saw a river otter. Um, they They can, you know be in ocean water, salt water or fresh water. Um we typically will see seals.
2: Since we came back to this beautiful house and lighthouse this spring. I have noticed the water clarity mm. has improved significantly since we were here in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, yes. couldn't, you couldn't see six to eight inches down back then, from my recollection. And now, it, it, at the right time, you can see bottom around the lighthouse almost two and a half, three feet down Yeah. in the rockweed. So, I don't think I ever saw a river otter back then, but I did see muskrats. So, I, I don't know. Yeah. I
4: saw beaver.
0: Maybe it was a beaver we saw. It, we did we saw the head a bit, and saw yeah. something swimming. It was really hard to yeah, see. At
3: the range lights, there's a little creek mm-hmm. that often has enough water for a small mammal like a like a beaver. I think or I've seen a beaver
0: lodge around there around yes, the range they,
3: lights. They, they, the small, the smaller ones would go up in there It'd be in, Turtles were always in there as well. Mm-hmm. But other wildlife in this area: deer, fox, yeah. beautiful eagles, osprey. There
4: were no sewer. Uh, no sewage cleaning in any, uh, any of the vi- villages all the way up to Augusta. Just raw sewage was pumped into the river. And I learned to swim here, and I have a- antibodies to every possible bacteria. <laughs> 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 and and, and now, the, now the river is, 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 is clean, is almost. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's
3: much yeah. yes. Much improved, yes.
4: It's identical to the Hudson in New York, in a sense.
0: The Kennebec River Range Light Station uh, and the other stations nearby here were among the last stations in the country to be automated, the lights and the fog, the fog signals. Uh, so, how much of a role did you play uh, in the last days of the stations there as they were being uh, automated?
3: It was a huge surprise to us. Received orders um, New Year's Eve.
2: Well, I reported aboard New Year's Eve. Yeah, I
3: was like, yeah. To the Coast Guard Cutter, Sanibel, and Woods Hole. Okay. And the lighthouse was not automated yet, so the Coast Guard transferred me back from South Portland to the Kennebec River Light Station to see it through automation. So while Dan was down in Woods Hole on the ship, the kids and I completed prepared the property for automation, which occurred July 1990.
0: Mm-hmm. Which makes it real close to possibly the last one. Uh, I know uh, Goat Island, yes, Goat Island, and Kenny Bunkport was right, right up there. I think around yeah, that yes, time. Yes, indeed.
3: Yeah. Uh, in terms of a Coast Guard family lighthouse, the Goat Island lighthouse and and our our lighthouse was they were automated the same week. Mm-hmm. We were automated on Tuesday, and Goat Island was automated on Thursday, being the last okay. family lighthouse to be closed.
5: Wow.
0: And I know, of course, around that time, Boston Light was slated to be the last one to be automated, but that didn't happen at that time uh, because of legislation that was oh. passed to keep somebody there. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly.
0: I've, I've had Sally Snowman, the keeper of Boston Light, on the podcast as well.
3: But so. I'm not sure that was ever a family lighthouse.
0: It so was. not you're, you're absolutely it was right. So I made man attached. Yes, it them was them. earlier, but in its last days, it was just a stag station. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, right. Station. That's what we call them,
2: stag, stag stations. Station. Yeah, exactly. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And now it's a womaned station with a, a woman keeper today. So let me turn back to, to you, uh, Joyce and, and Jim. It's my understanding that you have not been living here in this keeper's house at Doubling Point lately, recently, and, and that actually Karen and Dan have lived here for this past summer. Uh, correct me if I don't have that right. But in addition to them living here lately, Karen and Dan are also taking lead roles with the friends of Doubling Point Light at this point. Uh, you have been so involved with it for so many years I don't know if you have any thoughts about kind of stepping back from that at this point and uh, and ha- after so many years of living here and uh, being involved with the group how does it how does it how do you feel how are you feeling about well,
4: you see um, we, we, we started the friends of the dubbing point line and after uh, and that was around 1996 or something. I think that it it, it took over, and I'm I became 65 in uh, in 2001, and so we had already got this organization working, and uh, we sold our house in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and we lived up here for a couple of years, and we. It's a small house. We had three kids and stuff. So we decided to build another house where my parents had property on the other side of the island. Mm-hmm. So eventually we moved over there. and uh, But I, we, I would come here every day, essentially. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, and I think the McLeans are enjoying a little bit of it, too. Uh, having these visitors... And I would walk out there to the lighthouse and and open it up and the, particularly with children, I'd take them up and show them how the the uh, uh, light went on at night because of the sensor there and yeah and uh, and 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 it it was really I mean I've done this practically for twenty years and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been my second career. Yeah. Um, I was a physician beforehand and. Uh, now, I've been a Lighthouse uh, aide, essentially. Yeah. And uh, I, on the other hand, I'm 86, and I'm failing in certain ways. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, it's time for me to release this. And it really is the biggest pleasure uh, in the last year was when I got a call back from uh, the McLeans saying, yes. They would like to do what we had asked. We couldn't think of any family more po- totally appropriate uh, to take over running the Friends of the Dumbend Point Light. Yeah, and uh, that that that's that's been thrilling. At we were blessed, just
5: blessed.
0: Yeah, oh, it sounds sounds perfect. It seems seems perfect from every every aspect. Uh, and I've aspect noticed
5: here. that Karen she started keeping a diary here when she goes out and talks to people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was really, when Jim says it was his second career, he came, as I, he said, he came over every day, but he'd come home and tell me about the people he met, where they were from. Sometimes it would be from Germany, Yeah. often from Australia, out of state, You know? uh, And you could never tell by the cars incredible. in the driveway because they fly in and then they rent a main car. Yeah. There has been some
4: friction or concern from neighbors on the road because of the amount of traffic it's that become has increased. It's very popular. It's a one-lane road, and um, it's a private road. Uh, but because of my experience, I feel that this is a public asset that really should not be taken away from the public. And I want... I, I'm hoping, and I'm—I believe—we're we're going to continue to have visitors here mm-hmm. for the next until the tide rises so high that the lighthouse is going to have to.
0: Yeah, do let's do hope that doesn't happen together. too soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it could happen, but let's hope it's—it's it's ways off. But yeah, I was going to ask you about that about the—the the road. Actually, when we were driving up here today, uh, a yeah,
1: car was coming the it. other
0: way and had to had to pull over. Um, I've experienced it a number of times and uh, must uh, occasionally create problems like on main open lighthouse Day, when the place is open. I no, imagine no. the traffic gets a little crazy. We've been crazy. doing
4: that for many years yeah. and we've had as as many as two, it was over 200 this year. Almost, it was up almost pretty close to that year. before uh, but I've been sitting here watching the traffic just as you've been talking it on gone on. I mean,
5: yeah. this is our season. There all were people down now. in the cattails just a minute ago. Uh-huh. I didn't know if they were picking them or taking pictures, yeah. but it's it's. Yeah, and uh, this
0: is a Monday. It's not. Yeah, it's the right. weekend or anything. But well, it's a nice, um, nice day right now. We
4: have. I I don't, I don't know whether to even say it. We have well over two or three thousand visitors a year, mm-hmm. and um, maybe you shouldn't put that in. Well, uh, you know, the, we're we are not advertising for more visitors.
0: Right. I understand that. It, and, um, yeah. And, yeah. There's a certain balance I think you have to try well, for. Well, yes.
4: And, and um, McLean's, when my children come up here uh, for their vacations, as, as they have been doing for several years, they say, you know, you can't even sit in, out there and without somebody coming up and talking to you or or somebody is having a wedding and did, we didn't know about it. Um, we, when we were here, people would call up politely and we would arrange a date for for them to have that. Now apparently, some people just think they have a right to do it. So there's some issues there that have to be uh, looked at and taken care of. Yeah. The, we've already, you, you've already put up. We used to have visitors all day long. I mean. Uh, we uh, Our brochure still says that the grounds are open 24-7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only a year or two ago, it was decided that we'd make it 9 to 5. Um, we I have a board. McLean's have been pretty good. board. Mm-hmm. It's a discipline. But, you know, it's a, it is a historical asset. And I feel the same way about the range lights. To be honest, I don't think they should be closed from mm-hmm. people um, yeah. coming. Someplace somebody wanted to turn it into a public boat station, but it's an unsuitable piece of land for that. Yeah. And there's no that would be more parking than it could possibly be. And, you know, I could talk forever. I won't. Yeah. I'll quit. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad you feel that way about these places. That they there should be some public access. Again, I know it's a, you got to strive for this balance where you don't want to be overwhelmed because this the this, the road and the parking areas and the the environment can't support huge numbers of visitors. But uh, you know, it seems like you've achieved a pretty good pretty good balance with that. They're they're such beautiful places. We
4: we have felt that the balance was good and I- most of the people on the road accept it and are happy, pretty happy with it. Every once in a while, some imbecile comes down here with a a bus or a <laughs> overnight thing, or somebody yeah. came in with a an enormous truck and and stopped in the middle of the road, and boy, mm-hmm. some neighbor couldn't he we, got really stick. incensed <laughs> yeah. about it. Well, uh, yeah. I won't go into more details. Uh, <laughs> we did have one very exciting set of visitors, the uh, Mo- uh, model a oh, club. Oh, uh, yeah. That was down here with about twenty ancient, beautifully very cute. maintained it was very model cute a's, on and that they year, were really right, excited. Pages. And but I I think they had called. Oh yeah, we uh, arranged it. Mm-hmm. And, um,
0: that must have been something. Yeah. Uh,
5: and, yeah. Uh, Ted Panatoff used to bring senior college mm-hmm. people here. Uh, he taught a course on lighthouses and took them to different lighthouses. Yeah, I know, they, Ted. He did that several times. Yeah. So I aside see. from the regular visitors, and we had a, a group from the plant home once, a small group, mm-hmm. some elder, very old, older than we are people over here. Yeah. And I think we got some of them out onto the walkway, but mm-hmm. uh, the others just stayed in the vehicle and looked at it and took pictures.
0: Yeah. Do school tours come here at all?
5: We've had somebody ask about it, but it hasn't happened. I remember we had a second grade teacher who came here during Maine Open Lighthouse Day once, and she asked if she could bring a class, and we mm-hmm. said certainly, but she never got in touch with us. So, yeah. However, we've had Morse High School kids take their graduation pictures and things down here. Sure. Um, yeah. And lots of engagements. Some of them, they've gotten in touch with us ahead, and I've taken pictures of the mm-hmm. The young future groom, you know, getting down on his knee, one up in the tower, I caught it from that door. Wow. <laughs> he was so thrilled to have that picture.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've been involved in some of those, of course, with the Harbor the Light.
4: Visitors are usually very driving very slowly because they're very nervous about the one, and I don't think they about do the a lot of road damage. Uh, the, the Most of the road damage is because of weather yes. and um, yeah. potholes. And there are a couple of the people who live here who, who occasionally drive very fast, indeed.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was some pothole repair going on towards the, the main road today when yes. we came in. Yes,
4: yeah. there was. Yeah. And when we drove there.
5: It's we, a never-ending
0: problem. I'm sure. Yes.
5: Well, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So we, we talked about the, the renovation, the restoration of the foundation of the lighthouse mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, I know there's been a lot. I was here a, a few years ago when the tower was being reshingled. That was a fairly major project. Well, we've done
4: reshingling, painting several times. The mm-hmm. walkway has been repaired several times. Uh, the original walkway was all the way up here to the lighthouse, mm-hmm. to, the, to this cottage. Um, and uh, uh, the McLean's and other people on the board have helped in maintaining this material for years. To, yeah uh, so we've been uh, we've had help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, want
5: to just add one thing about shingles. Yeah. The shingles on this keeper's quarters are the original shingles. Wow. They were so thick, so good. They're mm-hmm. beautiful. Um we've had it painted ourselves since we've owned it twice at least with a very good painter who does mm-hmm. good preparation but imagine these are the same shingles 1898. And they haven't lasted that long out there of course it's more exposed but still right. The quality of what you get now is not what you've got
4: before. Yeah, yeah. You talked about the wind. The wind here is, I think, probably almost as incredible... The northwest, as, yes. You at, get a at, nice, at, strong northwest You You will yeah. never find no wind here.
1: Yeah.
0: So Karen and Dan, what led you to take these more active roles you're now taking with Friends of Dublin Point Light?
3: These two very convincing friends of ours here convinced mm. us that this would be a good thing for the future of the lighthouse. Yeah. So we caved.
1: <laughs> well, you don't- I s-
4: add <laughs> that there was a big smile on your face.
0: Yeah. I was gonna so, say, you don't seem too broken up about
4: moved it. in here because it's identical to the house yes. at the ranch. It ride. reminded them of you it. The at the ranch.
2: We're, we're, ranch. we're loving it.
4: Uh, The look on your face was was really charming when you moved in. I think that first day, and you. I think you said, "I feel as if I've come home," yes, because this house is identical to the very much so it is uh, cottage and to the other cottages on the on the river too.
3: There's there's a well known very old phrase that says, "There's no going back." Well, Joyce and Jim and their daughter Margaret have allowed us the unusual opportunity, something we never dreamed would ever happen again, to come back to a Coast Guard Keeper's Cottage on Dublin Point, Point.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's been wonderful.
2: Yeah. Although, I, I will say, yeah, back in the good old <laughs> days when we were stationed at the Range Lights, I would ask my officer in charge wife, can we go have a picnic today? And she was always so busy. I don't think we ever did take that picture. Uh, similar situation is occurring right now here as well. Because it just so happens that since we came back, we've had the annual friends meeting. We've had the minutes to write up. Yeah. Then we've had the newsletter to get ready. And yeah. we want to... we wanted, One of the biggest projects we have going right now is we're in the design phase of a new parking area. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, further up the road, a little bit away from this dwelling so that there's a little more privacy for the inhabitants. But primarily it's gonna be a safer and more direct route to the light because there's a path already exists. It's actually the Coast Guides easement to the light. Uh, so we'll hopefully have a, a little bit bigger uh, parking area and this will be used only as overflow for uh, for the dwelling guests.
3: Fortunately, we found an engineer that that we went to the town with our proposal for the new parking area and we were asked to get this a site engineer to do some design work and some plans. Mm -hmm. And we are looking forward to seeing what they think we're able to do. And still stay within the limits that the town would like to see us happen. So we're looking forward to seeing what they come up with, where, how they want to orient the the new parking areas. Yep. But it's a win-win for the guests and for the people that might be residing in the cottage to get some more privacy. It's a it's a beautiful walk down there. It's along the shore. It's not as steep as coming down the little hill that they come down now. Yeah. So and and the, also, we have found from reviewing reviews and for talking to people they feel as if they might be intruding on someone's privacy and right. trespassing to a degree and this will eliminate some of that mm-hmm. for our guests they feel more comfortable coming along the walkway down right to the tower
0: yeah walkway it sounds so, sounds like a great idea yes i like
3: it we forward to that
0: Maybe by next season, maybe, or maybe the, maybe not quite that soon.
3: We uh, Again, we're, right now we're waiting for the engineer to come, yeah. check the site, and do up his plans. Mm-hmm.
2: We're, we're hoping to be done before spring. It's going to be hard
4: for people who've been coming here for the last 20 years or 40 years.
2: They'll be confused. Uh, to, to
4: have to realize that they're uh-huh. doing a different way.
3: But we have vision for the new parking area. We're going to put up a kiosk, which will give the history of the Kennebec River, of the lighthouses, and you know the different guidelines that we'd like for them to follow while they're here. Yeah. So I think it's gonna be a wonderful opportunity for the visitors and for the Spencer mm-hmm. family and yeah. Margaret's family.
0: I think it sounds perfect. So, of course, the lighthouse tower is not generally open for climbing. It is open one day a year in September, a main open lighthouse day, right? As you talked yes. about that a bit earlier have there been any thoughts of opening it more or what's what's happening with that
3: to actually enter the tower yeah again it's having a presence here yeah and we came aboard this this summer and we've enjoyed it and we do similar to Jim we love going down there when our time allows and when they have the extra time to spend with us taking people up into the tower but on a regular basis until we can Find a volunteer on a regular basis. We just can't advertise that. Sure, but it's it's like by chance, and whenever it can happen, people are so appreciative, and they really enjoy getting up in there.
4: Well, we have no paid staff, and you can't how that lighthouse can't be open with nobody right who's uh, in charge.
3: No, and and we are in a unique situation where. The access roads to this lighthouse, as we've mentioned earlier, are privately maintained, privately Mm -hmm. owned roads. So we are trying to strike a balance. And we just don't advertise or increase what we're currently offering to help keep that balance between the neighbors and the visitors that we want to keep it accessible, just like Jim and Joyce always have. We want it to remain accessible to the public. We want to continue the educational opportunities Mm -hmm. and even those special interest opportunities with the weddings and whatnot. So all that information is going to be on our updated website. Hopefully you'll see it live even this week. Oh, wow. So it, you know, there'll be clarity and um, without offering more than what we already are able to provide.
0: Yeah, well, that sounds sounds great to me. And I just to clarify again for people who are listening, The lighthouse tower is not open except at this point on main Open Lighthouse Day in September. Uh, And what will happen in the future is to, you'll figure it out as time goes on, but I just want, I don't want people coming here thinking that they can climb the lighthouse. And when we say climb the lighthouse, there's also a ladder on the outside. People are not supposed to climb that. We're talking about when it's open, the door is open, and then you go up the stairs inside the the lighthouse.
3: Someone's present from the friends of the right. doubling Point Light organization yes. to guide them to answer questions yep. and to make sure their experience is yep. safe. And,
0: um, we don't want people climbing that ladder. Correct. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure it's been tried.
3: Yes. <laughs> Almost also, every day. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that there are two signs right mm-hmm. in their face as they climb up the ladder, they yeah. still do it. Yeah.
4: Of course, we have foreign speakers. That must be it. They don't speak
0: English. That must be it. That
3: must be it.
0: (laughs) So we're getting to the the end here, and I appreciate your your time so much, but I want to ask you both a final question for bonus points, okay? Okay. All right. I'm going to start with Karen and Dan, Uh, and this is a pretty broad question. You can take it anywhere you want to. Uh, but what have you enjoyed most about your years of involvement with the lighthouses here on the Kennebec River?
2: You know, it's an era that has gone by. Um, there's so much history on this river. It just, it, my mind wanders sometimes to, is it Benedict Arnold? Is it the Clipper ship? Is it this island in all the surrounding area? Denuded of all trees because of all the shipbuilding that's gone on, it's it's an amazing history, and I just feel so privileged to be part of it in some small way and to enjoy the beauty of the whole area. I just I tickle my I pinch myself all the time.
3: It's definitely been a privilege to have had the opportunity to serve the Coast Guard at a lighthouse, an active lighthouse, and to be able to come full circle after we had out son and daughter born this summer to have the bonus to see Dan walk that same walkway with, his, with our grandson and our granddaughter, It's like our hearts were just melting to have that chance. And, and the friends that we have met here on Dublin Point, and the memories we've created, as the Spencers have said, talking to our guests, learning about you know the areas that they come from. And just seeing the joy in their eyes, having an opportunity to visit a lighthouse on the main coast, sharing that with them has also been special. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and the neighbors are very welcoming. They they love the lighthouse. They're probably a little bit jealous that they can't have it to themselves all the time. <laughs> uh, but they love it. And they're so pleasant to be around and welcoming. And they tolerate a lot yeah. with the traffic in and out. They do. Yeah,
3: yeah. Wow.
5: What? I can't say anything better than what they've said. <laughs> yeah. Especially meeting the people who've been here, watching special moments. We've had two two uh, larger weddings uh, of people who live on the road, mm-hmm. and um, and I like to think about the the Merritt Pinkham and his family who were here for thirty three years or thirty one years. I have it written Something down like here. Something like that. Yeah. Um, what they lived through and endured. Um, we have some, we have a wonderful letter from Fred Pinkham, uh, the son of, uh, the youngest son of, of Merritt, uh, describing what life was like here. I'm going to give it to you. You may have seen it already and another copy for Karen and Dan, but, um, you know, I, I imagine trying to do the cooking, (laughs) uh, dealing with the, the water from the cistern and the pump it. The pump was actually at the kitchen sink when we when I was married to Jim and when we moved in here. We've modernized this kitchen <laughs> with little cute tiles and things and a refrigerator. Um, but we have pictures of Merritt Pinkham with the ducks that he's caught, uh, their trusty little dog who was sitting out here on the porch. We've gotten some wonderful pictures from some of his grand- granddaughters. Um, and it's just, it's been exciting. And we also have to thank... Jim's aunt and godmother. Who, how they heard about that advertisement? They lived in Connecticut, but they must have read it about it in the magazine or even the New York Times or something. And to come up here, two two maiden ladies they were, and how lucky we were that we inherited all of this. Down, mm-hmm. You know, their foresight and and uh, just the nature around here. When our daughter was married down here, when everybody left, I realized. In my pictures, there was a little newborn deer, a fawn, down here in the bulrushes. And we cleaned up the tables, and we wondered what happened. And eventually, we noticed it was gone. The mother came and got him out of there Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, without us even seeing. But it's just been a miracle uh, to be here.
4: Just a little bit about the lighthouse originally. The original keeper could not drive here. They had to come by boat, and they rowed a boat across the river, and they had to ro- row a boat across the river to go to school. A, rig- a road was originally built, I believe, or at least the track was made by the Coast Guard, mm. because there was no nobody else down here except for the Rainshaw's Keeper. Right. There was, a, was an old house, we call it the Courier Place, which now is... Uh, Owned by a new family, it's been redone, but it's a colonial house. But basically, they were they were really all by themselves here, mm-hmm. and um, and of course there was no plumbing, there was no no drinking water, um, a cistern. Uh, with the seagulls, of course, assisting the water <laughs> yeah. getting into the cistern. And there's a, a well <laughs> and, up the road, which and is there, where there, drinking well, the drinking water... And the well up, the, you go by that pipe up there, uh, and that was the drinking water place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, Occasionally an animal would fall in. <laughs> but, <laughs> at any rate, it was a totally different lifestyle back in the colonial or not colonial, in the early period of this life, yeah. um, when it was built in 1898. And the amount of traffic on the river was up to 3,000 ships a year. And of course, essentially, it's completely different. Yeah. There was a period when ice was a big product. Yeah. And the upriver was porting Kennebec River ice all over the world, yeah, or at least all over the, in the South America as well as. At any anyway, rate, it's all very interesting stuff. I mean, there's a lot of history that, uh, and of course, Bath was a major shipbuilding for the oh, yeah. uh, sailing vessels. I mean, you know, city all of this ships. Stuff. Yeah. you've written a lot about it and stuff.
0: I'm glad you brought all that up because there is tremendous history here. And I, I feel, feel like there's a, a lot of ground we needed to cover today. Maybe we can do it again sometime because there's a lot of a lot of history here we haven't really touched on. But I'm glad you, Joyce and, and Jim, I'm glad you brought that into it.
4: There they come. Here they come. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, as we speak, people are uh, walking over to the lighthouse. If you uh, have a lighthouse, people will come. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> So I I feel like I, I hate to cut it short here. I'm having I'm enjoying this so much speaking with uh, all so four of you. Yeah, well, thank
5: you for doing yeah. it. And we've learned so much about the plains <laughs> we didn't know before. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, thank you, Karen and and Dan and uh, Joyce and Jim. It's really really been a pleasure. Thank you for hosting uh, Charlotte, my wife and I, in the, the house here today, and for taking part in the podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Good, well, thank you. you. Just a reminder, you can read more about the Friends of Doubling Point Light at doublingpoint.org. So, Bob,
0: in addition to being the Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, you're also a lighthouse technician for the Coast Guard. You're in the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Uh, Have you had any interesting service visits to any main lighthouses recently?
1: I sure have, Jeremy. I mean, recently, um, in the last couple months, there's been services at Places like Pond Island Light, which we uh, spoke of a little bit about, and you know that when you go there at this point in the year when the birds are all going, because that's a protected island Mm -hmm. uh, for terns and common eiders. I was just shocked at the amount of mosquitoes that were still on that island, and I mean they made you want to stay inside that lighthouse. It was like you know, it's like I'm not going out. I'm just going to stay right in here and uh, finish up the service, and we're going to get out of here when it's done. Another one recently was a Lubec Channel Light you uh, mm-hmm. look back and I uh, was an interesting one just to, the service there is not very difficult but every time I get on that light I can't help but think of Connie small yeah and uh, her stories in her book a wonderful book that you know thankfully the friends of Portsmouth Harbor lighthouses has had reprinted um, but uh, yeah there's a sense of history there for me personally because of her book and because of her memories of that so uh but yeah I mean each one of these services they uh It can be very routine, but at the same time, you also know you're walking in the steps of the keepers before you. And so there is that sense, even even if it's not profound, you just know that it's there. And they can all be a little bit interesting in their own right.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, making me think about Connie's stories of Lubeck Channel Light. For people who might not know, uh, Connie wrote the book, The Lighthouse Keeper's Wife, you mentioned uh, when she was 85 years old. And one of the stories she told is that she was like 19 when she married her husband, Elson, who's a few years older, and he was assistant keeper at Lubeck Channel Light to Connie's uncle, right? Loring Myers was Connie's uncle. He was the principal keeper. Elson was an assistant. Connie didn't live there at Lubeck Channel Light. It's a spark plug type caisson light out in the water. And, but the first time she went to visit, she was scared to death. She said, I can't do that. She didn't want to climb the like 30-foot ladder uh, up into the the entryway. And Elson said, "Uh, don't worry, you'll be fine. He said, "Uh, just uh, when you go up the ladder, just look up. Don't look down. I'll be right behind you. And of course, that was her motto for the rest of her life. Uh, Always look up, never look down. And, uh,
1: you know, that's an awesome story. I'm glad you recounted that, Jeremy. And you know what? Back in 99, 2000, when the Cutter Thunder Bay repainted Lubeck Channel 8 at the time, prior to its private ownership today, Mm -hmm. I know they, uh, they, they left a little note above one of the windows that said Connie Small was here. I look at that every time I go, it's fading a little bit these days, but I look at that every time I'm on the light. And speaking of, as a, as a Coast Guard Auxiliarist, and speaking of the McLeans, i, I have this little tie-in because I noticed this from the, uh, I just believe this was the November, December issue of uh, the Aton bulletin, it's a navigation bulletin that the Coast Guard put out in, in the uh, 80s. And it said, uh, quote, Life at the light can be restrictive. The keeper can only be away four hours during the day and only in good weather. To take a weekend off, Dan must find an auxiliarist to watch the light. An arrangement that works very well. That would have been kind of cool as an auxiliarist to be able to get a call from somebody like Dan and say, "Hey, I need some time off. Do you want to come over and watch the light?" So, yeah, we'll tie into to the past there.
0: Oh yeah, that is really interesting. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, So Bob, I want to thank you for hosting this uh, double podcast episode about the, about doubling point light and the other lights on the Kennebec. I also want to thank you again. Uh, I know I said it last time, but it's worth saying again, thank you for your help recently with the U S lighthouse society tour we did in down East Maine uh, that I was part of. It's always great having your participation in those tours. So thank you again, Bob.
1: Oh, you're very welcome, Jeremy. And I know we discussed it, but, you know, when you see people from coming from all over, getting to enjoy main lighthouses like we did and have such fine weather and just the camaraderie, it's just it, that fun, that joy makes what we do, all of us, what we do in lighthouses so much more, uh, you know, just, it just raises our spirits. It, it elevates um, the reasons why it's so important to work and save these lighthouses so that we can pass them on. So, uh, no, that tour was outstanding, and uh, the U.S. Lighthouse Society does a great job providing people with that opportunity to see things that otherwise they may or may not be able to see on their own. So,
0: right, yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of that, uh, I'll be involved with some of the U.S. LHS Lighthouse Society domestic tours in 2023. We're working on the itineraries as we speak, uh, including one on Long Island, New York, one on uh, one in uh, Northern Lake, Michigan. Uh, again, the itineraries are still being finalized. They'll be on the USLHS site, uh, website, uslhs.org, as soon as possible. Probably, I'm gonna say within the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, there are uh, also some exciting international tours in the works for next year, including Iceland and Patagonia, uh, Spain also, I believe. So Bob, uh, Back to Maine after we went abroad for a minute there, but do you have any uh, quotes about Maine by any chance?
1: I do. This is from the author Mae Davidson. She wrote in her book entitled, Whatever It Takes, quote, my attachment to the state is that of a barnacle to a ledge, the pool of the moon to the earth. Maine, because of its singular and profound beauty is a place of worship without walls. I love it so, end quote. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I think it's an awesome quote too. Thanks, Bob. Uh, I've spent most of my life living in Massachusetts, the Boston area, been in New Hampshire for more than 20 years now. But I would have to say I love the Maine coast probably more than any other area that I've ever seen. Uh, it's uh, pretty, pretty special.
1: It very much is, Jeremy. I think, you know, when you think about the thousands of islands that dot this stuff off the coast here of Maine, when you think about the fact that we have in this state, Something like the Windjammer Association, the main Windjammer Association. So you've got all these historic vessels that are sailing and plying the waters for, uh, uh the, allows us to kind of feel like we're going back in time. Our lighthouses, so many of them, as you know, are offshore, and I think that's, um, they're in wave swept areas, they're just uh, remote, desolate areas. You know, for somebody, a lighthouse enthusiast who wants to go see them, it's quite an effort to you have to make it. It's a multi year effort in, all, in a lot of cases. Yep. to be able to say hey i've seen all of maine's lighthouses but when you do the joy and satisfaction saying i conquered such a challenge is, is is very awesome so no, maine is uh, and, and the seasons i think the seasons are incredible when we you know you, you the autumn is always great here you've got the winter which is amazing uh, a lot of people don't see it a lot of people don't want to see it but <laughs> yeah. but it is quite amazing and of course, Acadia—you get a place like that in this state, and it's just like that's breathtaking. That's a that's a nature's cathedral there. So, yeah, Maine's pretty special.
0: Yeah, nature's cathedral—you said it. Uh, and uh, what you said rings true to me about it being a challenge to see all the main lighthouses. It took me about twenty years. Uh, you know, uh, some of the offshore ones I had to hire—you know char- charters just personally to people to take me out to some of the lights. Uh, The last one I got was Franklin Island in Muscongus Bay. Uh, It's not that it's that isolated, but there's no, you can't see it from, really see it from land. uh, And there's no regular cruises that go anywhere near it. So uh, I had to uh, create the itinerary for a Friends of Flying Santa fundraising crews that went near Franklin Island. That was how I finally got to, to photograph it as the last lighthouse in Maine. Uh, I think that was about 2007. I finally got them all, but it is, it is a challenge. I get emails occasionally from people that will say something like, I'm coming to Maine for the weekend and I want to photograph all the lighthouses. Can you give me any advice? And uh, I hate to break it to them, but you can't do it in a weekend So, or even, even in a week or a, or a month, it's, it's not that easy.
1: No amount of money is going to change that back, right?
0: <laughs> Very true. Well, unless you take a, maybe charter a helicopter ride over the coast, but that's, that's going to add up too, but uh, that's, a, that's cheating in a way, but I love seeing them. I've seen them from the air as well. So thank you again, Bob. Uh, and of course, as always to our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good
1: light.